Howdy, and welcome to Wise About Texas, the Texas History Podcast. I'm your host, Ken Wise, and I want to thank you very much for tuning in to learn a little something about Texas. Well, we just got through the 182nd anniversary of the Texas Revolution. I'm releasing this podcast in 2018, shortly after San Jacinto Day. I hope everyone listening had a great San Jacinto Day. I went, of course, to the San Jacinto Monument for the official state celebration. Wouldn't miss it. It was a Lovely day, a little bit of rain, but it did not put uh, any damper on the festivities. Be sure and put uh, the San Jacinto Day celebration on your calendar for next year. I had the opportunity to give the keynote address at the annual gala benefiting the San Jacinto Museum. That was a ton of fun. Great Texas history crowd. President of the Texas State Historical Association was there. The, the uh, direct executive director was there. It was a wonderful time. Uh, San Jacinto is something that we definitely should celebrate all through the year, but especially around the April 21st anniversary, and I hope everyone did that. I also want to mention a new podcast called Legends of the Old West, started by a friend of mine who lives in Brenham. His name is Chris Wimmer. Chris is a very talented writer and producer, and he's created a very unique Old West podcast. He's telling stories from the great history of the Old West, and uh, it's very engaging and sometimes dramatic, and it's a ton of fun to listen to. So if you're into Old West history, which of course will include some Texas, then you need to check out the Legends of the Old West podcast. I actually had an opportunity to be interviewed by Chris for his third episode, which has been released, and he did an episode on some of the Texas Ranger, early Texas Ranger stories and uh, then we had an interview afterwards that was a lot of fun to do and matched up well with uh, the couple of episodes ago when I talked about early Texas Ranger history uh, which of course I'm going to continue to do so check it out. I also want to mention a new museum that has opened in the town of San Felipe de Austin at the San Felipe de Austin State Historic Site. They've opened a museum commemorating the town of San Felipe and it's a fantastic museum. We had the grand opening last week, very well attended, a beautiful sunny day out on the banks of the Brazos River, and the state has acquired even more of the town site, and so you will be able to stand at a large map uh, outside on a patio and look around you and envision the old town of San Felipe. They've put some great markers up commemorating significant sites in the town, and you'll be standing right on the ground where it existed. So that is definitely worth seeing. They have Stephen F. Austin's original desk that he used there in the town of San Felipe where he kept all his land files, etc. And so go out to uh, San Felipe de Austin. I've talked about that town, of course, a lot on this podcast, and it's just uh, west of Houston on Interstate 10. So go check that out. Well, as I mentioned, it's after San Jacinto Day. So after San Jacinto Day, I always like to move the clock forward a little bit and get into some post-Revolution Texas history. And that's what I'm going to do today. Today is a story about a river and the man who loved her. In northern Texas, two streams come together in Fort Worth to form the beginnings of the Trinity River. Two more streams join the Trinity near Dallas. The Trinity flows 710 miles before it empties into Trinity Bay in Chambers County. Hope once flourished that the Trinity would become a major north-south shipping artery, but those hopes never quite matched up with reality. They were abandoned, actually, when it became apparent that dredging the Trinity to a degree to make it navigable was just too much work. 
But one man refused to surrender, and he promoted the Trinity as a viable part of the Texas transportation infrastructure till the day he died. And to help promote it, he decided to go on a 21-month journey to prove it. This Texan you should know was named Basil Muse Hatfield, the first admiral of the Trinity. So pull up a chair and let's go back to the turn of the 19th century and get wise about Texas. The Trinity River got its name, we think, from a Spanish explorer named Alonso de Leon in 1690. La Salle saw the Trinity, and he called it the River of Canoes about 1687. And the Trinity River, after 1690, was soon used consistently for commerce. As early as 1836, steamboats were traveling up and down the Trinity to the settlements as far north as present-day Anderson County. So Texas was settled pretty far north to south on the far eastern side of the state. One boat in 1854 made it as far as 50 miles from Dallas. Uh, Later, an Army engineer determined that the Trinity was the least obstructed river in Texas. Now, I didn't look at that report, and I find it hard to believe, but that was uh, the findings of an Army engineer. And uh, certainly, uh, he did that in 1853, by the way, and uh, least obstructed uh, was meant actually least obstructed of lots of obstructed rivers. In 1868, uh, after the Civil War, a boat actually did make it all the way up the Trinity to Dallas. That trip took one year and four days. So navigating up the Trinity was no easy proposition. Eventually, the railroads came along and the riverboat business declined, but the railroads were expensive. And a few folks still believed that inland rivers would provide an important opportunity for commerce. And that's where we meet Basil Muse Hatfield. Now, Basil Muse Hatfield was actually the 14th Basil Muse Hatfield in his family, or so he claimed. He was said to have stood six foot three and weighed 300 pounds. So he was a big old boy. He was born in 1871, appropriately enough, July 4th, 1871, in Washington, Texas, which we now call Washington on the Brazos. His grandfather, Basil Muse Hatfield, of course, laid out the town of Washington, and his grandfather's listed in one source I found as Basil Michael Hatfield, uh, but he might have been Basil Muse. Either way, he was a member of Captain Gibson Kirkendall's company at San Jacinto. So, uh, wise about Texas listener Marshall Kirkendall, I know you'll appreciate that. Uh, Basil Hatfield at San Jacinto was part of the detachment guarding the camp baggage at Harrisburg. And after the war, he became a merchant in Washington. He named his son, our Basil Muse's father, Sam Houston Hatfield. So we know that he certainly appreciated his general at San Jacinto. Let me digress one moment here and talk about how, uh, perhaps how our Basil Muse Hatfield got his affection for rivers. And it came honestly from his grandfather. Now, this story goes back to 1851, and the residents of Milam County in central Texas were trying to figure out how to get their crops to market more efficiently. And there was a merchant in that town named McCown, and he went down to Washington, and he talked to the San Jacinto veteran Basil Hatfield about trying to take a boat up the Brazos River into the Little River 
and all the way to the county seat of Milam County, Cameron, Texas. Because if you could get a boat to Cameron, you certainly could get it back down the river. Well, Hatfield had a steamboat named the Washington, so he loaded it with groceries, including, of course, whiskey, and he took it up the Brazos River. He took it into the Little River, and he made it to a point two miles from Cameron, but that was close enough and a cause for celebration. In fact, there was a two-day party aboard Hatfield's boat, and uh, then Hatfield took the boat back into the Little River and back home to Washington. Uh, That was the first time that a big boat had made it almost to Cameron, Texas. Unfortunately, it was also the last, but we do see how the Hatfield family wasn't afraid of a challenge. Uh, One other thing about the Hatfield family, our Commodore Basil Muse Hatfield was related to William Anderson Hatfield. William Anderson Hatfield was from Logan County, Virginia, now part of West Virginia. He was a Confederate officer and guerrilla fighter in the Virginia-Kentucky border area, and he acquired the nickname Devil Ants because he was such a fierce fighter. Now, the story goes that a raid occurred in 1864, and a federal infantryman named Harmon McCoy raided a friend of Hatfield's named Christian, raided his farm, and Christian was killed in the raid, and Devil Ants Hatfield vowed revenge. Soon thereafter, McCoy was found murdered. The prime suspect, of course, William Anderson Hatfield. Well, it didn't ignite immediately, but it was that incident that was thought to be a catalyst for the world-famous Hatfield-McCoy feud. So on that note, we come back to our friend, Basil Muse Hatfield in Texas in the late 1800s. Born in 1871, as I mentioned, he had a very adventurous youth. Some say that at 16 years old, he got on a cattle boat and sailed for England. Now, there was really no way to verify this for sure, but cattle were shipped to England by boat. So, uh, as we say sometimes on this podcast, it could have happened. And uh, there were other stories about Hatfield and his youth. One had him sailing down to South America. Um, It's commonly thought that he fought for England in the Boer War in South Africa, as well as the Boxer Rebellion in China. The story goes that he got a medal from Queen Victoria for valor, but declined it, which so insulted the queen that she put Basil Hatfield in jail. Now, I'm not sure if that's true, uh, but Hatfield himself was quoted at one point as claiming to have stayed in some of the world's best jails. He claimed other adventures, too. He claimed he fought in the Spanish-American War, that he had mined diamonds and hunted ivory in um, Africa, and that he had found oil in India, present-day Iran, then Persia, Alaska, the Balkans, and South America. He also claimed to have studied Eastern philosophy with the lamas in Tibet. That's the Dalai Lama-type lamas, not the furry, four-legged kind. He said that the lamas in Tibet, while teaching him patience, made him transfer sand from one bucket to another, one grain at a time. Well, uh, if you can manage that, you certainly would be patient. One newspaper article quoted uh, Hatfield as saying, quote, reality lies in this minute alone, the eternal now, close quote. Well, that certainly is an Eastern philosophy from uh, Basil Hatfield, but uh, I did as much searching as I could do uh, in an effort to get this podcast produced and it's remarkably difficult to find 
some of the records, uh, rosters of the Boer War and the Boxer Rebellion. I did find some. I did not find Mr. Hatfield's name, but that does not mean he didn't do it. So anybody out there that's uh, better with the military records of the Boer War, look up Basil Muse Hatfield and report back. Hatfield uh, definitely mined silver in Mexico. He said that he knew Pancho Villa while down there, but had to leave when he was on the wrong side of a skirmish in the revolution. So he came back to Texas, and uh, we do know Hatfield was a geologist, and he began drilling for oil, and he got himself a little bit caught up in some issues related to the famous East Texas field. Now, the East Texas field uh, was one of the biggest oil fields ever discovered, maybe the biggest, and uh, set off an oil boom in East Texas. And long story short, to keep the prices high enough, they put uh, quotas on the production. Well, if you produced more oil outside the quotas, it was called hot oil. And and selling that oil uh, outside the production quotas and the proper channels was, it was contraband. So Mr. Hatfield ran into a little issue with that hot oil and uh, may have gone to federal prison. One one source I saw said that he had uh, been in federal prison and pardoned. Now, I did look up the national pardon records, did not see his name. Uh, So we're just going to leave it that Hatfield was involved in the East Texas oil field. Somewhere along the way, Hatfield got enamored with the Trinity River and its potential for Texas. Now, I'm not entirely sure why, but of course, we've established that he came from a line of uh, riverboat captains, and so that may have had something to do with it. He worked in East Texas, or probably around the Trinity River, uh, but there are several stories about Hatfield wandering around the Trinity River Valley, living off the land and sometimes the hospitality of others. One person who had hosted Hatfield in his house recalled him eating a pound of bacon and a dozen eggs for breakfast. Now, certainly we can all aspire to that, uh, but that sounds like a lot. There's an author of a book called Mavericks named Gene Fowler, and he quotes Hatfield as saying, quote, one chicken is too little, but a turkey is a little too much, close quote. Certainly sounds like something that Hatfield would say. So Hatfield started to talk up the Trinity as uh, a source of inland commerce. He took a group up the Trinity in the mid-30s, and this would have been during the Depression. And one of those travelers recalls Hatfield regaling him with stories around the campfire of being a soldier of fortune in South America with somebody named William Walker. Well, there was a William Walker who was a filibuster in South America in the 1800s, but he died 10 years before Basil was born. So again, another story we got to put a question mark on, but certainly probably sounded good around the campfire. Uh, he also told that group stories of steamboats going up and down the Trinity. Now those stories were actually true. There were some dams and locks built on the Trinity in the 1800s, The ruins of those were visible in the 30s. It may still be there if the river is down uh, because it was a source of commerce for the 1800s. So gave a little support for Hatfield and his advocacy. During the Depression, he formed an association um, along to try to teach the people along the Trinity to use natural items um, for some sort of industrial purpose. It was kind of an early form of foraging uh, in nature and uh, wise about texas listener rachel stinson the official foraging consultant of this podcast i'm sure you'll like that he took a break uh, from all of this river advocacy to do something absolutely opposite of what 
he had been doing, and that's to enter politics. Now, listeners of this podcast will remember discussing way back in the earliest episodes the 1948 Lyndon B. Johnson Senate election. And as part of that episode, that was Lyndon Johnson's second run for Senate. His first was 1941. In 1941, there was a special election for Senate. And the governor, Pappy Leo Daniel, was going to enter that election along with Lyndon B. Johnson and 27 other people, including our buddy Basil Muse Hatfield. He signed up to run for Senate. He started calling himself Senator. He actually got 83 votes in that crowded field. He finished 17th, which is not all that bad for a first-timer. And uh, Time Magazine, in an article about that election, referred to Hatfield as the Commodore of the Inland Rivers. Uh, Hatfield himself started calling himself Senator during that time, uh, thinking and saying out loud that if you didn't count the votes before the election, you might not get any. Uh, Well, shortly after this campaign, um, Basil Muse Hatfield shaved his prominent beard and cut his very long hair that he had grown as a Commodore and uh, because he had a new project in mind. And the great Dallas writer Frank X. Tolbert mentioned that uh, Hatfield had a habit of smoking his cigarettes too long and uh, setting his beard on fire. So maybe it's a good thing that he sort of cleaned up uh, because he was about to embark on a fairly unusual project uh, for a geologist. Now let me give you a little bit of flavor for Hatfield uh, with another good story, not directly related to the river, but to give you a little bit of flavor of the kind of character Hatfield was. And the fact that I just mentioned to mentioned his geology made me remember this story. Um, in the 20s, he was drilling for oil in Odessa and a swarm of bees took up in his gearbox and he had a Ford, a 20s Ford. And when he stopped, the worker bees would fly out of the gearbox and go do their bee stuff. And when he started the car, the bees would all return to the gearbox where the queen was. Now, I presume that's because of the vibrations or something of the gearbox. I don't know. The bee experts out there can tell me. But one night, as a joke, he decided to go park that car in Johnson's garage. Well, Johnson not only owned the garage, he was also the sheriff. So when the garage worker showed up the next morning, of course, the bees had taken over the garage. Uh, So the sheriff summoned Hatfield. Hatfield walks in, starts the car. The bees pulls out of the garage. The bees all go back to the gearbox, and he drives off. Uh, The sheriff pledged to fine Hatfield $1 per bee, but we don't know if that was collected. So um, that's the kind of guy Hatfield was, and... uh, He did have some success as a geologist. He was drilling in Odessa in the 20s. He had a company called the Texas Mejia Drilling Syndicate. Uh, He lived in Fort Worth, uh, but he listed himself uh, as trustee of this syndicate. Um, He was married in Fort Worth to Lena Hatfield, and they had two children that I know of, a daughter named Sue and a son named, of course, Basil Muse Hatfield, Jr., so anyway, let's go back to the Trinity River. Now, Hatfield was a man of big ideas, so he decided that what he would do was prove once and for all that the Trinity was navigable and that could serve as an artery for commerce. So this is what he did. He announced he was going to take a boat from Fort Worth, which he called Port Fort Worth, all the way to Chicago in time for the Century of Progress exposition. Now, the Century of Progress exposition was slated to run from May 1933 until October 1934. 
So on August 23rd, 1933, Hatfield and a crew of four other men got in a boat. Hatfield had a 24-foot flat boat built. He had a cover over it like a so it looked like a 24-foot covered wagon. And uh, he named it the Texas Steer. So he tied up at the Belknap Street Bridge in Fort Worth and had a big celebration to cast off and head to Chicago down the Trinity River. There were several songs. Uh, Newspaper accounts record a string band being present. They played uh, Over the Waves as well as an original song they had written for the occasion called Three Cheers for Commodore Hatfield. And so Hatfield set off in the Texas Steer. Well, he got as far as Grand Prairie before he hit the first snag, uh, reminding him of why this river wasn't generally navigated all the way to the Gulf. Um, By the time he got to Dallas, he decided to add a small engine to the Texas Steer. So he did. He added a one-cylinder engine. He kept going down the river, and he made it to Crockett, Texas by October. And on November 15, 1933, he arrived in Galveston and docked at Pier 20. Well, then he took the Texas Steer along the intercoastal waterway to Beaumont, and he arrived in Beaumont on December 9th. Now, at each port that he pulled into or each town, he would have this ship rechristened in a ceremony and generate some attention and interest. Uh, He eventually made it to New Orleans, and he decided wisely to hitch the Texas Steer to a towboat for a trip up the mighty Mississippi. Now, I mentioned earlier the Commodore's considerable appetite. Uh, While eating on this boat, the cook complained to the captain that Hatfield ate too much, so the captain ordered Hatfield to be listed on the ship's register as four guests rather than just one. So his appetite uh, hadn't decreased. Well, he made it up the Mississippi River, and he made it to Chicago. The Texas Steer made it to Chicago on July 1st or 2nd, 1934, having been gone from Fort Worth for almost a year. When he arrived in Chicago, the Texas Steer was decorated with pennants and banners. He had traveled 4,500 miles on 19 different rivers to get to Chicago. He had collected water from each of the rivers that he'd been on in jugs, and he had a ceremony where he poured all those river water into Lake Michigan. And the newspaper writers dubbed him the Texas Cowboy. So he spent his time in Chicago, and now he needed to get home. He took the Texas Steer back down the river, presumably at a faster clip. He arrived in New Orleans in October 1934. By April 1935, he was back in Grand Prairie, having gone up the Trinity. And uh, in Grand Prairie, he asked the residents in the newspaper for a cross-cut saw, 20 gallons of gas, and five quarts of oil. So I guess the trip had been a little hard on the old Texas steer. Well, on May 23, 1935, the Texas steer pulled up to the same Belknap Street bridge it had left almost two years prior. There was a parade down Main Street in Fort Worth, and Fort Worth civic leader and booster Eamon Carter had an event for Commodore Hatfield. He presented him with a Shady Oaks Stetson. Eamon Carter was famous. He had a ranch, a Shady Oaks ranch, and he uh, was famous for for presenting these short-brim Stetsons to people that he liked. He gave uh, Hatfield one of these hats, and he pronounced him the first admiral of the Trinity. 
Well, Hatfield's trip along the way, he had met 26 governors and 64 mayors. There were 60 banquets held for Hatfield along the way, and he played Santa Claus in two Christmas parades. I should mention the reason he did that was he vowed not to shave or cut his hair until he had completed his journey. He gave 439 speeches, and he covered 9,000 miles on the Texas Steer with a one-cylinder engine. So I think the hero of this story, in addition to the visionary first admiral of the Trinity, is probably that one-cylinder engine that went 9,000 miles with the Texas Steer. Well, unfortunately, uh, the dream of making a navigable canal out of the Trinity River never came to pass. And one day, while walking along the banks of his beloved river, he fell and he injured himself. Those injuries led to his death on March 23, 1942, at 70 years old. His death certificate lists the cause as gangrene as well as a diabetic coma. So I guess the uh, four guests instead of one and the pound of bacon for breakfast came back to haunt him. Hatfield's last wish was that he be cremated and his ashes scattered in the Trinity River. He specifically asked that a band be present and play upbeat, happy songs like Turkey in the Straw or My Bonnie Lies Over the Ocean. Well, that process hit a roadblock because his son's consent was needed for the ceremony and his son was serving in the Navy in World War II. He had been listed as missing in action for a time. The story is he was fighting at Corregidor in the Pacific Theater and he was captured by the Japanese. The Allies torpedoed a Japanese ship off the Philippines and it turns out that that ship was carrying prisoners, including Basil Muse Hatfield Jr., who was killed in that ship sinking. Uh, Time slipped away from the family and the ceremony was just never carried out. Well, finally, on Friday, August 14th, 1987, 45 years later, the Commodore's ashes were removed from a shelf in the Lucas Funeral Home in Fort Worth where they had stayed for 45 years. They were taken to the Belknap Street Bridge in Fort Worth where he had begun his famous journey. Speeches were made, a band played lively tunes, and Basil Muse Hatfield was returned to the Trinity River he loved so much. The first admiral of the Trinity was a great Texas character. We don't have as many Texas characters like that, but you know what? The more I go around this state, the more I think maybe we do, and if you look for them, you'll find them. He had a tremendously interesting life, and I think one of the great lessons that Basil can teach us is to go out and have an interesting life. Do something you love and have fun doing it. I found two quotes from Basil Muse Hatfield that I want to leave, leave you with. The first is, quote, I just want folks to remember there was a man who was willing to make a fool of himself if he thought it would help his fellow man, close quote. I love that, and I think it's a testament to Hatfield's genuine heart. And here's the second, quote, It's all right to lie about Texas because it'll be true tomorrow, close quote. Those from the Commodore, the first admiral of the Trinity, Basil Muse Hatfield. Now we come to the part of the episode I call Getting There, where I tell you where to find some of the places that we talked about in the episode. The Belknap Street Bridge in Fort Worth is visible. It's on the east side of town, visible from Riverside Park in Fort Worth. So you can go to River, Riverside Park and uh, you'll see the Belknap Street Bridge. That's where 
uh, Basil Muse Hatfield was finally laid to rest and where he started and ended his two-year trip to Chicago. Uh, there is a marker in Cameron, Texas, where the steamboat Washington stopped uh, for Basil Muse Hatfield's grandfather. It's about two miles south of town on Highway 77. That's US 77. It's right near part of uh, 44 Farms up there. It's on the northbound side of the highway. So before you get to the Little River, you'll see the marker on the right. It's a centennial marker, one of the gray markers. It looks a little bit like a tombstone. There are several parks along the Trinity River all the way from Fort Worth down to Trinity Bay near Anahuac. So next time you're at a park near the Trinity or next time you cross the Trinity, tip your hat to the First Admiral Basil Muse Hatfield. Well, that wraps it up for this episode of Wise About Texas. I want to give a special mention to Cheryl Shaw, the cha- chair of the Chambers County Historical Commission, for letting me know about Basil Muse Hatfield. I want to recognize author Gene Fowler, who wrote a book called Mavericks that's got a great part on Commodore Hatfield, and Mike Nichols, a former writer for the Fort Worth Star-Telegram and a blogger from Fort Worth who did a ton of newspaper research on the First Admiral of the Trinity. I hope that uh, you will follow the Wise About Texas Facebook page. You can follow us on Twitter at Wise About Texas and Instagram at Wise About Texas. You can support the preservation and promotion of Texas history on patreon.com, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash Wise About Texas. And if you're enjoying the Wise About Texas podcast, I want you to think about telling a friend or two help them find the show, and hopefully get excited about Texas history. Thanks for listening to this episode of Wise About Texas. I hope you'll go out and do something for Texas today. And until next time, God bless Texas, and we'll see you down the road.